Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Bola. How are you? I'm doing good. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. How are you? I am doing excellent. Thank well, you. I, <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you join me here today to talk about how you grew your retirement assets to seven figures, which is an incredible accomplishment. But before we dive into your story, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Okay. So by profession, I am a CPA and I hold an MBA in strategic management. I teach professionals and business owners to ditch bad debt and create a six or seven figure retirement income by learning how money works in six simple steps. And that's so that they can build a legacy without feeling stuck. Professionally, I've grown up on Wall Street in many different capacities. I have worked with senior level executives. I've been an auditor and the larger part of my career has been spent writing policies for large multinational banks and insurance companies, and also overseeing uh, some of these same companies from a regulatory standpoint. And one of the cool things about my job is that I've spent a lot of time representing my organizations and have traveled to some really cool places as a result of that. So one of the things that I love to do is also travel as well. So it was like right in line with what I like doing. That's pretty much who I am. I'm also a mom and a <laughs> and a wife. I have two teen daughters. That's awesome. And your resume sounds very impressive. <laughs> and, you know, for those of you who say, don't take this the wrong way, right? Tanya has a backstory and a really interesting backstory. So you came to the U.S. as an undocumented immigrant alone when you were 16 years old. And from 16 to today, you managed to create a financial plan for yourself, build your retirement assets to seven figures. So I'd love for you to give us some of your backstory coming to America by yourself, undocumented. What inspired you to want to achieve wealth? How did you start earning? How did you start saving? Tell us about Tanya from way back when. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting backstory. So I am from Jamaica and we grew up very poor where sometimes we didn't know if we would have dinner on the table. And I got the opportunity to come to America at 16, which, you know, it's still pretty young. I had no family here. So I came here, stayed with a family friend who, you know, gave me a room and board for a small fee. 
But financially, I was pretty much on my own. For me, coming from a place of poverty, I craved not just financial security, but I really felt like I wanted to have the opportunity that many of my family and friends didn't have. I needed to help my family back home, and I just didn't want to live that cycle of paycheck to paycheck. So mm-hmm. my drive was really from there. From the time I was 16, I was making a budget at 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't make much. I was making like $75 a week, but I had my little budget because it had to serve me. By the time I was like 21, I started to think about, okay, my family is still back home. I had never seen them. I never saw them again until seven years later. Wow. But I, I was helping them. And I also thought about what if something were to happen to me here? Like they don't have access to me. I still was undocumented. So I got life insurance at age 21. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I was able to get a job where I was able to start investing in a 401k plan, I jumped at it. And that started at around, I think around 22 or 23. I got a job on site at Goldman Sachs and the company was offering like a 3% match. Now at that point in time, I didn't really know much about 401k plan or investing or anything, but I heard 3% match. (sighs) They're going to give me money. And I was like, absolutely. I'm on board. And the fact is that you hear about retirement and it seems so far away, right? So the idea of retirement, and and it's not like it was something that people talked about. I never heard anyone talking about it until the company told us we had that match. But the 3% was something that made me say, oh, for sure, I want to do that. And the other thing was, you know, they kind of talked about how when people contribute to their retirement, when they're young, as they get older, you see the miracle of compounding. So Mm -hmm. I really absorbed all of that. And I felt like, okay, I want to be able to build wealth. And this is an avenue that I could use to build wealth. And so that's how I started. And I was militant about the fact that once I started investing in my 401k plan, I actually started to learn what 401k plan was, what investing was. And then I was now surrounded by people who would have some of those conversations too. So I made it my point to like actually understand what I was investing in within my portfolio. That's one of the things that a lot of times people don't do. Like our company offers a 401k plan and we just kind of put the money there, but we don't know Mm -hmm. what's happening with the money. Yes, I knew exactly what was happening with my money and what I was putting it in. And I also, whenever I left a job and moved to another one, I also didn't leave my 401k plan to fate. I actually also made sure that I take it with me. And then by then I was learning how to manage my money myself. And so I started managing it on my own too. So let's kind of go back to what you shared. I just writing my notes. (laughs) (laughs) This is just so fascinating, right? You're here at 16, making $75 a week. So I'm assuming you're working odd jobs because you're not documented, right? $75 a week is really $300 a month. You're here by yourself, no family that you don't see for seven years. And you decide, you know what, I'm only making 300 bucks a month, but I'm going to budget. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want you to kind of like, tell us a bit more about that drive. You talked about growing up poor and just not wanting to be in that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle, but at 16 years old, right? There's still a lot of attractions or w- what's the word? Um, distractions <laughs> when you're a teenager, yeah. right? How did you manage that? Especially since you didn't see your family for seven years. 
Yeah, I, I think that you develop a different mindset when you do that, because I was also in, I, I went back to high school. Funny enough, I had graduated high school in Jamaica, but they sent me back to high school here. Whole nother mm-hmm. story. But there were things that I just knew I couldn't do. Like if my friends were hanging out after school, I couldn't because I knew I needed to work. And I knew that if I didn't have the money, like there were things that I just wasn't able to do. So mm-hmm. to be quite frank with that $75, like I had to pay the people that I lived with at the time, I think it was like $20 a week. So that left, left $55. I was using mm-hmm. that $55 to, I would walk as much as I could to wherever I could go. I would send money for my family in Jamaica and wow. I would always save money put away because I was saving for college. So Back then, I did the susu, which is a common thing in yes. the Caribbean. <laughs> and also in Africa, yes. yes. This is very common. Yes. So I did my susu. So every week I was putting money in my susu, and I knew that was money that I was putting away. So when it's time to go to college, I would be able to pay mm-hmm. for college, too. Because I don't even think I knew to even think about financial aid, but it wouldn't have been offered to me because I was undocumented. And you really stretched that $300. I mean, paying rent. <laughs> Sending money back home, paying your bills and saving for college. And for those of you who are not familiar with Susu in Nigeria, it's called Isusu. It's a common Caribbean slash African tradition culture where it's kind of like community saving. So a number of people would decide they want to save money. And every week or every month or whatever timeline, all of the people will put a fixed amount of money into a pot and one person will pick like a, I guess a lottery and that one person will get the entire batch and the money would just rotate across all the people who are contributing until everybody has gotten the full pot of money. And it's a great way to save. My mom does it all the time. <laughs> she's obsessed. And she's like participating in multiple different yes. <laughs> with different groups of people. <laughs> so does my mom. <laughs> and she has to do her background check. She's like, listen, I can't just do sushi with everybody, with anybody, yeah. because I need to make sure you're going to put the money in after you've collected the pot. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So going back to your story, you know, you basically, I can relate to your story, right? You knew where you were coming from. Probably every time you got paid that $300, you would think about your family and what this money would mean to them, Mm -hmm. right? I felt the same way getting my first job and just knowing what the sacrifice was for my mom to pay for my college and convert a different currency into dollars and what she had to give up. Right. A lot of people wouldn't ever understand, but I knew, like Mm -hmm. I knew what my family had to give up for me to get a college education because I couldn't qualify for student loans. Right. And so every time I was going to do something silly, I really thought about where I was coming from. Like, you know, so I totally understand that. And so you, you get documented, you get this great job at Goldman Sachs and you start the 401k. And I could totally, again, relate to your story because it was similar. I sat in the HR office and I was like, oh my God, what is this woman talking about? <laughs> this is just so boring. Can I go to my desk? And she's like talking, 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 talking. And she's like, well, we'll give you free money. And I packed up. I'm like, what free money? So I can relate to that. And that is, I, I love that you share that. I love that. That's one of the grounding parts of your financial journey because you started with nothing. And now Mm -hmm. you're at seven figures and your 401k was a catalyst. And a lot of people take that 401k for granted, right? But it's the easiest way for most people to invest if their employer offers them that because it's automated. If you get a match, that's free money. And even if you decide not to look at what has been invested, you still have your money working for you, but you 
extra step to understand how the investments were being placed. So what were some of the resources that you leveraged to start to figure out, okay, how is my 401k being invested? So I just, and and if, way back then, there wasn't a lot of online information. Yeah. Yet, but <laughs> <laughs> it was not much at yeah. all. <laughs> so I would speak to people because actually at some point I got a financial advisor and my financial advisor, you know, like I did all the things that they tell you that you need to do. Cause I was like, I'm going to build wealth. I'm not going to stay in poverty. So I had this financial advisor. And so he was talking to me about, so he provided me with additional information and I just kind of just talked to people, but I ended up firing him because I started giving, putting money in the account for him to manage. And that was like when I left Goldman Sachs and I started my career at Deloitte. And I found out like every time I would look at my money, like it wouldn't be growing. And as I asked more questions, I started to learn like, okay, they take a fee out. And even if it's not doing good in a particular year, uh, they're still going to get paid. Uh, they're going to get paid. Either way. And it's just like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yes. I'm like a frugalist to begin with. And I was just like, my little money, I'm paying you and it's not growing. So by then, I guess like the internet started to get a little bit more, you're starting to get more information. And thinking back, I don't even know where I got the inf- some of the information, but I sought it out and I found it and I was able to say, okay. And also when you have a 401k, or any kind of investment, you do get documents, uh, prospectus, Mm -hmm. or you'll get annual statements and things like that. So those are also places that I would get information and start to understand like how fees work Mm -hmm. and what kind of investment I want to have. Because also I was so young. So it was just like, I don't want to invest it in bonds. I don't want to be invested Mm -hmm. in really safe investment. So it was sometimes looking at those things and just talking to people. I was so interested in the topic of personal finance that I would just strike a conversation with anyone who could provide me with any information. Mm -hmm. And also as an auditor, one of the things that I did was I audit funds and pension plans. So that was also a great way for me to get like real deep information and and knowledge about like how funds work and how pension plans and retirement plans work as well. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And one of the things that you also mentioned was that you moved your 401k plan with you with every job. And that is so key. And I'd love for you to share why that is so important with the folks listening. Well, well, for me, I just feel like if you just leave your 401k plan with the prior employer, a lot of times it's also just very passively managed. You can do a couple of different things. You can decide that you're going to take that 401k plan and put it with your other 401k plan that you're moving to. That's actually an option if the company allows it. And the pot is bigger and what you're investing in is wider choices sometimes. So you get that return. But also for me in particular, I was investing in the stock market as well. And I can touch on that later. But I didn't necessarily want all of my investments to be passively managed by the company that I was a former employer of. I wanted to be in control of it. So sometimes I actually transferred it to a stock account or just a regular brokerage account where I was managing it. And so that could be a combination of stocks as well as index fund, exchange traded fund. But for me, the importance of moving it was just so that I had control over it as opposed to just leaving it to someone else's control. 
Yeah. And when you move your 401k, like you mentioned, there is the option sometimes, depending on your new employer, to move that money into your new employer's plan. Sometimes the investment options can be limited, but there is also the more popular option to move your money into an IRA. And if you transition a 401k into an IRA, then you don't get charged any penalties. And then you have access to the whole stock market, right? And you can invest. And for me, I, I always moved my money also. And this was because you just mentioned that, you know, you always get your prospectus, your 401k documentation, maybe every quarter, every six months from your employer, they either email it to you or they mail it to you. Mm -hmm. And I was just always interested in opening and reading them. And I remember when I left my first job, I opened up my 401k summary, whatever. And it said something like, since you no longer work for the company, if you leave your 401k here, here is a schedule of fees we're going to charge you. Yes, that's true. Yes. I, I forgot to mention that. Correct. Yes. yes. You're like, here's the schedule of fees we're going to charge you yes. for being an ex-employee. Yes. <laughs> but yes. we're mad. I was like, hell no, no. I completely forgot about that because I've done it. So I've just like automatically done it that I completely forgot about that part. But right. Yep. <laughs> and they will get you with those. And those fees are not your normal yep. management fees. They're it's first on of all, top you, of it. Yes. You don't work for the company anymore. So. Mm-hmm. You're costing them money yeah, <laughs> and they're going to charge you. So keep that in mind. Uh, right. So you start investing in your 401k, you're investing in stocks, ETFs, as you mentioned. What other investments did you dabble in and did you have any setbacks? I know that you went into home ownership, you started a business. So tell us more about how you now started to add on layers to building your assets starting with that 401k what did you do afterwards uh yeah so so much Um, (laughs) so I was always like of the business mindset like my girlfriends and I we would there's like a core group of us and we were always strategizing around business ideas but for me like I did purchase a home. So once I got the job and I had the option now like I was actually making some money I could have moved out and got an apartment But I remember just, I had this mentor and he would just always put things in my head and he was like, but if you stay, you could save and you could get a house. And I was like, yes, I could get a house. I don't have to pay somebody's Mm. rent. And so at 25, which is when I graduated college, I graduated late because of saving and all of this other stuff uh, being undocumented. I bought the house actually before I graduated, right before I graduated college. And the goal of purchasing that house was to use it to build wealth. So I wanted to make sure I have at least a million dollars by 45 and I wanted to have multiple properties and I wanted I to have it. business. I had all these goals. And so I bought the house and so I never had to pay rent. Once I bought the house though, unfortunately, the setback that I had was that the people that I considered family, they kind of moved into the house and they took it over <laughs> mm. and they weren't paying their bills on time. Sometimes they didn't pay bills. I remember one year for the span of an entire year, like they just didn't pay like half of their bills. Wow. And so I needed to choose between paying their portion of the bill or just getting my credit ruined. And so for a lot of my adult life, I actually had bad credit because every time I would try to play catch up and at this point I'm getting older, I, I eventually got married. My husband and I had another house and I'm taking care of this house that was supposed to bring me rental income, but all it's bringing me is more debt because people are not paying their bills and negative credit. But I think that one of the things that that did, and it was really like, it was so depressing. Like sometimes I just felt like giving up. I had to have a lot, a lot, a lot of therapy to help me get through it. Mm. But 
it reinforced for me why I needed to continue to maximize my 401k plan. So I never, everywhere I worked, I always maximized how much I put in my 401k plan. And that's the maximum that the IRS allows. So last year it was Mm 19,500. And it was just one of those things that I knew I had to do if I wanted to reach my goal. I'm someone who I write my goal down and I will do whatever I need to do. I will make whatever sacrifices I need to make to get to that goal. But Mm -hmm. also I started a small business as well. (laughs) That was another setback because the person that I started the business (laughs) with, they they ended up selling the business (laughs) and I didn't get a dollar out of it. So that was like all gone. But to get extra income, like my husband and I started a tax practice. And Mm -hmm. so we would also generate extra income from there. And then I started investing in the stock market. So a few friends of mine. Of outside my, of your 401k. Oh, totally outside of my 401k plan. So a few friends of and I, we were just talking and it was just like, you know, we need to build wealth. We're young, black, female. We we're all female at the time that was starting the club. And it's like, we can't keep living in the cycle of poverty. A lot of us were also mm. immigrants. And so we decided to start this investment club and we literally set everything up, did our pitch book and invited people in to join us in this investment club. And then we pitched to them. And I think at the time we invited about 12 or 13 people and they all, they were so impressive. Like, oh my God, we had binders, we had everything and they joined. And I was elected as the president of the investment club. And so I ran the club, I want to say around six years until I passed it on to someone else. So that was another way that I was able to generate additional income since this real estate thing was not working for me. Mm-hmm. How did the investment club work? So essentially we set up everything as a, so it was a formal business which okay. was registered with the state. And what we would do is that we had an investment policy and guidelines about how we would invest. And so we set up what the policy is on how we would select the stocks. We would get together and we would divvy it up. We would research three or four different companies. And out of those, we would make a recommendation on a month. We met on a monthly basis. So on a monthly basis, our job was to research the companies that we're interested in investing in that's in accordance with our investment policy guidelines. And then a recommendation would be made and we would purchase the stock. So different individuals could have invested different dollar amount. We all started with only $50 though. Mm -hmm. And that was the minimum. But if someone wanted to do more, they would. And, but you couldn't do less than 50. So I also invested more than 50. And then I also started to invest more on my own, in my own personal portfolio, because although I didn't have children in my head, I was thinking this investment is for my children's college. It was like really weird. I'm like this weird planner who plans everything. I love it. And so I was able to just invest in the stock market and a smaller portion in like ETFs and index fund. And now my children's college portfolio is over 600,000. I love it. And you can repurpose that money for them. Yes. Because they are supposed to get scholarships. I already told them. <laughs> yes, that's the plan. That is my plan. Yes, we are, we're racking up this uh, 529B. We're racking up your brokerage accounts. But listen, girl and boy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I want to keep my money. <laughs> yes. Yes, they know. Like you guys are supposed to get scholarship. And then, but this money is for generational wealth. Bola. Yes, like, I love that. We could use this for so many other things later on in life. And that's the mindset that I'm really trying to get into 
people. Mm -hmm. So first of all, let me just say that your investment club is a modernized, super fancy susu, basically. (laughs) You took it to the next level. And that's so amazing (laughs) because you you made it structured. So, and then you started doing research and you set guidelines. These are all the things my mom needs to do. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when the susu goes bad. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so fantastic. And one really major thing that you said that I want to highlight for people listening is you said the real estate investment did not work out. You live and you learn. The small Mm -hmm. business investment did not work out. You live and you learn. But you said half of your life you had bad credit, but you have still managed to build seven figures, over seven figures in assets despite having bad credit. And the reason why I say this is because I want people to understand that credit does not equal wealth. Credit is simply a score that gauges how responsible you are with taking on and paying back debt. And when you're in that cycle of perpetually taking on and paying back debt, it leaves little room to build wealth. So Mm -hmm. credit is important, but in the scale of building wealth, don't let your credit score be the gauge Mm -hmm. for the assets and the wealth and the success that you can build. And when you said that, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, like people equate so much to their credit score that Mm -hmm. they're so focused on credit, credit, taking on debt, creating, building credit, acquiring debt, making monthly payments that they forget that girl, you don't really need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. We can start investing. We can start yeah. saving. We like forget credit for a second, unless you want to buy a house or right. you know you need it for a, a utility. Like put that credit aside for a second, mm-hmm. right? And focus on building wealth and not acquiring debt. So I love that you said that. Yes, and I think like because of the lack of financial knowledge, that's a lot of time why people feel stuck. Because you'll find someone with negative credit, and they just feel like, oh my god, I have bad credit, so I can't do anything else. You know, and to me, like budgeting is the foundation anyway. Credit, yes, it's super important. But if you can figure out how to navigate your budget, a lot of other things get solved. Not spending more than you are bringing in. A lot of things get solved. So, you know, I can go on. (laughs) (laughs) You are a millionaire, Tanya. That is incredible. I love to see this. Black girl magic. I love to see women win. I love to see women who look like me win. This is just so incredible. So first of all, I should have said at the beginning, but congratulations. This is a Thank huge you. accomplishment, not just for you, but for now your generations, your, especially with you teaching your children now, the value of building generational wealth and also for the broader community where you come from, right? This is a game yep. changer, right? Because you're able to help your family. You're able to impart your knowledge and your lessons. And people are going to look up to you as a role model who came from poverty to now being a millionaire. So you have these seven figures of assets today. What does it consist of? I always love to know what it consists of. Yeah, so it's not pretty, like there's nothing fancy about it. (laughs) So I have- Sometimes it's simple, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
like keep it simple stupid (laughs) so for me like I'm not super aggressive in my retirement portfolio but I do believe in having stocks in my portfolio and I've been the stock market investor since my 20s right so Mm -hmm. about 40 percent or 50 percent of my portfolio is comprised of stocks and then the rest of it is the index fund um, mutual fund and exchange traded fund And then I do have a very small population that is comprised of high yield bonds and fallen angels. And that's because the return on those are pretty good. So I just kind of kept them in there because they still yield a pretty good return. But bond is terrible right now because of the low interest rate environment. And a lot of times people have a lot of bond in their portfolio. I have a client who told me like all her portfolio in her retirement account is in one thing and it's earning, I think, 2%. And she's in her 30s right now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people do the bond thing. I guess be out of fear. So it's the, it's the mindset that I want to invest in the stock market, but I'm going to find the absolutely most conservative way to do it. And then they, they opt for bonds, which if you're young, I think there are more opportunities for you to take a there little is. bit more risk. They're losing money. <laughs> yes, they're losing money with they're inflation. Losing money. Yes. So you are, one thing I just wanted to highlight for folks listening is that you, there are many different ways to build wealth. And it sounds like you have built your million dollar portfolio primarily by investing in the stock market, right? And yes. So you have your 401k, you have your kids, five to nine Bs, you have ETFs, you have some bonds, you have stocks and funds. And there are always debates and arguments about what is a one path to build wealth. And there's no one path, right? There are people who have been on this podcast who have built wealth, million dollar businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Business. There are people who have built wealth through real estate. There are people yes. who have built wealth through a combination of all these things. And it's all about finding what works for you, what is interesting to you and what you feel passionate about. So, so you do have your rental income, but you, yes. your primary bulk of your portfolio is your, is your investments in the stock market. Yeah. So yeah, when it comes to, you know, how you build wealth, you can combine all these different things. You can pick one, you can, you know, you find what works for you and you yes. follow that path. There's no one blueprint Correct. to build wealth. And you are a perfect example of that. And I'd love for you to share, Tanya, what advice would you give anyone listening to this just based on your own experience, based on where you're coming from, going back to your 16-year-old self, coming to America with just nothing and being where you are right now? Yes. So the first thing I would start with is just start exactly where you are. I think a lot of it has to do with mindset. And once you start shifting your mindset and putting yourself in a place for growth, a lot will open up to you because me being my 16 year old self, everyone I saw around me was living paycheck to paycheck and no one had a career. So even the idea of thinking beyond just a job and a career was just a step like, wow, because everybody's just working, working, working and just living paycheck to paycheck. And I don't know if they were okay with it, but that's what they knew. So I would say start where you are, but also think outside the box, think outside your current situation and just identify things and people outside of your present circumstance and set goals to get there, like set goals to meet people that you admire in the field and what they're doing. And make promises to yourself that you're going to keep. So work towards it. Like there were a lot of times that I felt like like giving up. Like I went to junior college and when I graduated, all my friends were going off to, you know, four-year college. I got a scholarship to four-year college. 
And I couldn't go at the time because I was undocumented. So I ended up and I couldn't find a job. I ended up becoming a babysitter living in someone's basement. And that was really demoralizing. But I didn't let that stop me. I actually felt like it was a lesson that I that I needed to learn because I got to see access to wealth. And so it, it drove me even further. So I would say no matter what your situation is, like look inside of it for like a silver lining instead of seeing just the part of it that's just like sad and demoralizing. You're never too young to start. So don't think that maybe if I'm 22 and I'm listening to this, I can't start, you can start. Paying yourself first is so critical. Like no matter what is going on, just automatically have that money go out. And as Bola said at the start of this, like, that's the 401k is one of the great ways to like automatically save. So if that's where you need to start, just start there and seek out mentors and people that can help you to grow because your current situation, the worst thing that you can do is just remain stuck. And this is across all income brackets. It's not just someone who's not making money. I have friends who are making multiple six figures or still stuck who don't have much. And it's just really just stepping outside and really trying to look beyond your current circumstance. I think that's kind of how I would sum it up if I was giving someone advice. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I relate to you in in so many ways. You talked about graduating college late at 25. I graduated at 24. Uh, Mm -hmm. I took time off of school because money was tight. (laughs) (laughs) You you talked about, you know, having your college education, but working as a babysitter while your friends are going off to other opportunities. I graduated college with my Bachelor of Science in computer science and Mm. a minor in business. And I took a job at CVS as a cashier (laughs) before Mm. I got my first job because I needed money now. (laughs) So I love what you said about not thinking about what's demoralizing you, what's demotivating you, but instead think about where you're aiming to get to. Sometimes you have to do uncomfortable things to achieve your big goals, but everything I've done, everything you have done has been listen, you have seven figures, girl. It has been worth it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's, and you are still young and you still have time to build more wealth and, mm-hmm. you know, impart more knowledge to your children and impact your community and just be an incredible role model and inspiration to other women, other black women, other Jamaican women. So it's just what you've done is amazing. So thank you so much for sharing. And before you thank go, you, you have to tell everyone, <laughs> what is your clever girl superpower? Uh, my clever girl superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would say it's just my willingness to share my personal journey, both the struggles mm-hmm. and the triumph and allowing people to see what's possible once they decide to set their goal and just pushing forth no matter what obstacle exists. I love that. And finally, Tanya, how can folks keep in touch with you, learn about you? What courses, information do you have? Where can people find you? Yeah, so I have a financial coaching program and it's called Grow Your Wealth. And as I said at the beginning, it really teaches people how to learn about money so they don't feel stuck. They can reach me on Instagram at GrowYourWealth10x. And they can also reach me on Facebook at Grow Your Wealth Community. 
I also have a completely free course that's called the art of wealth building. So if they find me either on Instagram, through Instagram, they could find me on in my Facebook group, they can take advantage of the course, it has really a lot of implementable strategies that they can start putting in place, like the moment they listen to that training, they can start putting things in place so that they can really start changing the trajectory of their finances. They can also find me on YouTube at Grow Your Wealth TV. That's awesome. And I will be sure to include all this in the show notes. So thank you so much, Tanya, for being here, for sharing. You are so incredible and I appreciate you. Thank you, Bola. It was so great chatting with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.